0: All right, boys and girls. Today might be a rough one. Sharice Sharice has not been sleeping well.
1: Yes, I've not been sleep well. Two, I
0: mean going to bed at two AM and waking up at six for calls.
1: Okay. Well
0: probably.
1: when you say it that way, I can't tell if it sounds like it's my fault or not. I mean
0: why are you going to bed at two? When you when you okay, lie down in bed. Oh wait,
1: no. Yes, go. So I'll, say, I'll, minute, I'll let you ask you your question first.
0: Tired or are you thinking about stuff? Because this is the one thing I realized too is.
1: Can't you be both tired and thinking about stuff? How, I mean, that's thing, that's like, not mutually exclusive.
0: About, but thinking about things prevents you from sleeping.
1: No, but I fall asleep fine. I just have a whack sleeping schedule. Like I get into bed, I fall asleep, but then I have to wake up
0: too oh, soon. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't I have trouble. Oh,
1: I feel like your problem is worse.
0: Yeah, it's like insomnia.
1: This is Making It Up, co-hosted by myself, Charisse Poon, and Eugene Can. We come together on a weekly basis to talk about things that we are interested in, have questions about, want to get each other's thoughts on. Making Up is produced by Maken, which is original storytelling at its purest, through captivating audio, engaging words, and beautiful visuals.
0: Making it up is an exercise in analyzing and dissecting important movements in creative culture. It's an opportunity to sound off on each other and make sense of the complex intertwined world we live in.
1: We try to come to some sort of conclusion in order to be helpful to you, our listeners. But really, we are working through things, and we appreciate you working through them with us.
0: If you like what you hear and want to help us keep going, you can support us on Patreon.com/Making. Let's get into it.
1: What I was going to say is. Disclaimer, I did not read the article, (laughs) but I saw a headline. My article? No, no, no. A article that I'm about to tell you about, okay? Where there's a theory that the reason why people sleep late is because late night is their only ownership over their time. And that's why they put off going to sleep.
0: Dude, I actually subscribe to that a little bit.
1: I do. I do subscribe to that. Because you finally feel free, like I'm not working, I'm not on the clock. I, I don't owe anybody anything. I also don't have any like social engagements. Everyone else is asleep. No one's expecting me to respond to a message at two a.m. I finally have like my own time. Why would I squander it by being asleep?
0: I actually have felt that. I was like, man, I wish I could just not sleep and just be energized to do some sort of work. Yeah, listen to ourselves.
1: Uh, Brainwashed by capitalism. All right, let's get into it. All right,
0: who's going first?
1: So long as I've mustered up the energy right now, I'll just. Sharise is
0: so tired. She just used her left hand to force open her eye.
1: <laughs> I've been doing that a lot lately. Actually, I've been doing the like eye open gesture. It doesn't work. No, it obviously does not. I don't know where it comes from. Anyway, my subject is. Near and dear to my heart, which is why I'm glad that it's the topic this week. Considering the state of my brain this past weekend, Canadian New Democrat Party leader Jagmeet Singh hung out with U.S. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on Twitch, and they live streamed themselves playing the very popular multiplayer online game Among Us, along with a bunch of other big streamers, and they raised two hundred thousand Canadian dollars for A number of different initiatives that are aimed at reducing food and housing insecurity in the U.S. First question. Have you played? Good job. And I did
0: not like it. It was whatever. (laughs)
1: whatever Wait, before we even go on to the crux of this article, which is like we're going to talk about streaming and politics, I have to ask, why do you not like Among Us? I
0: don't know. I mean, let me explain the Psychology of Eugene.
1: Let's hear it.
0: Let me explain the circumstances in which we started playing this game.
1: And by we, UG does not mean he and me, I, because my, we yeah. have not played among us together.
0: My Fortnite squad, I had a, a friend had us over, and <laughs> dude, <laughs> Nathan showed up with two monitors, like external monitors that he carried over. Anyways, it didn't work because we didn't have the right cables, people couldn't hook up monitors, so we switched games.
1: Oh, you and your Fortnite squad tried pro- to play, play Fortnite while in person in the which same doesn't room make sense. It's just together. Kind of
0: weird, right? You can't. It doesn't you can't Actually, bring it to a new social level. No.
1: Okay. If anyone else heard the like ominous scratching, <laughs> there is a dog outside the room where we record, and it's not like some intruder trying to scratch their way in. Yes. Okay. Well, it's because everyone has their console at home, like whatever they play. Yeah. At.
0: Exactly exactly it was it didn't work out so then we started playing different games we played jackbox
1: yeah which uh, like word games and things yeah,
0: like that i like jackbox jackbox if for those that are unfamiliar it's a bunch of like mini party games yeah yeah and then among us let me try to explain it and you'll oh, probably right get a better job. sorry
1: i did i totally just assume that everyone knows how to play among us so among us is a game that allows up to 10 people one of well, you can choose how many, but let's say one. One of the 10 people will be an imposter, which yeah. means you're a murderer. And the context of the game, roughly, is that you are on a spaceship in space and the spaceship is broken down. And as a crew, you guys all need to fix the spaceship so that you can, you know, go wherever you're headed. But on the spaceship, there is a the murderer running around killing y'all. OK, so if you are the imposter, you win by killing. Killing everyone yeah. successfully,
0: and people not finding out who the murderer is. And,
1: yes, and people Isn't not finding just, like, out clue? that's you. No,
0: wasn't Clue like figuring out who the murderer is? I don't know, man. Like this,
1: o- was not like Clue? I don't know.
0: is not Clue the same thing? Where you no, it's not.
1: Thing? Have you ever played Mafia? Did you grow up playing Mafia?
0: No, but it's the same thing, right? I know it's yeah. Mafia like is the game. same thing,
1: but you can just play it with paper. You don't need a phone. You don't need yeah. an app. Yeah, I grew up playing Mafia in like summer camps and yeah. stuff, um, which is why actually it's funny that you don't like it because. I really enjoyed it. You know why I did not like it?
0: Because I won in the first two rounds and then I was like, oh, this is boring.
1: Because it wasn't challenging. It wasn't for you. that
0: challenging. It was like, this is. Wait, did
1: you win as the crewmate or the imposter? Imposter. Then everyone else sucked.
0: Potentially. But I'm just saying, like, I, I think I lost interest. I was like, oh, this well, but is. But also,
1: like, you can. Okay, sorry. This is not meant to be about like.
0: Maybe we can, can we play later?
1: Four people is a little too little.
0: Too easy. Oh, I only played five people. The ratio
1: is just not good because oh. it's like one imposter to four people. Yes. It's, it gets a lot better if it's with 8 to 10. Oh, okay, maybe that's so why. So maybe that's why. And also you can adjust really, the difficulty settings. Lesson, yeah. Anyway, totally not the point, but I do want to say that I enjoy playing Among Us. I play with a group of very lovely people. And I'm saying this not because like I want to big myself up, but I'm just saying this for reference, is that they have said I'm very good at this game. Interesting. Yes. Anyway, back to AOC and Jagmeet Singh. Jagmeet Singh is the one who initiated this live stream. And he said the aim of it was just like friendly conversation with you know with AOC across the border and also to connect with young people in like this very low-key casual way. They could also potentially talk about their shared progressive values on healthcare, economic equality, and climate change. And that's how Singh told press, like, this is why I was interested in it. But also, they didn't actually wind up talking a whole lot about politics. They talked a little bit, but mainly they just played the game together. Right. And I think that is the most interesting part of this is politicians going on to live stream to play games in this casual, not explicitly campaigning type of way. Right. So I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is actually the second time AOC has played Among Us on Twitch. So let me tell you about her debut on Twitch. It was on October 20th, so just the week before the election. It reached concurrent 435,000 viewers, which is extremely high for Twitch, for any streamer. And she played with Representative Ilhan Omar, as well as streamers like Pokemane, Hassan Abi, Toast. Corpse Husband, and more. The idea was to get out the vote and the stream became one of the 20 most viewed of all time. And that's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Like in the history of Twitch. And I dug up some Twitch stats because it's pretty interesting. And also because in the Macon Discord, people said they were interested in streaming, in the subject of streaming. So in 2020, the average concurrent viewers on Twitch at any given time is 2 million and 115 thousand
0: do you watch any streamers yeah i do yeah and it's I, because my
1: partner watches a lot of twitch
0: do you know who dr disrespect is i do uh, that's the only streamer i watch
1: okay but I well there was no follow-up to that that was literally just, just like do you know the streamer
0: that's the only but oh. i can see why like a streamer if they're good and they have personality can be successful
1: i mean i think th- i can think of many reasons why streamers become successful and they're not just about personality but personality helps a lot yeah um and it used to be that twitch was much more of a gaming platform right and one of the reasons why there are so many more viewers and streamers now compared to last year is because of a really significant increase in streams that are not just strictly gaming so In addition to that other stat I said, there are also 6.7 million monthly streamers, which which is up 84% compared to last year. So, like, everyone and anyone is streaming on Twitch. So, there's a lot more small channels.
0: Do you think that streaming just inherently changes the – so, basically, to walk it back, like, AOC and Jagmeet are probably two people that were obviously talking about, like, just – shooting the shit right yeah
1: and i wonder if
0: that just adds another layer of interest because it's like i have something to visualize which in general like us being recorded right now like how interesting is it like you could you could step away for not to say you can step away from this but like i think just the fact there's like an added visual element
1: yeah well i think it's it's not just an added visual element well yeah like i guess it could be drawing or something which is a visual element but also the fact that they are mainly gaming as the activity as opposed to like having a politics 101 stream they are actually genuinely playing a video game and i think that's part of the success of twitch streams for politics where you go for being natural and human and you're not like being like politician facing
0: one thing i just find really interesting is that this activity has happened in the past, but under a different guys, and what I mean is, which activity has happened just, in the past? Just the activity of two people in the more the politics coming together to doing an activity. And it was usually golf or something. Oh, right? okay, so sure. Like, basically, this is got you repurposed for 2020. And mm-hmm. the thing is, like the things that are different, is, like the, the inherent act of two people meeting up and discussing and hanging out over an activity, right,
1: right, right, right is right. now
0: expand into like, well, let's record that and create content around it, right, and let's also change the vehicle which used to be golf into something that's much more representative of where we are today yeah like golf is just like this pretentious yep. whatever whatever you want to yeah you know all yeah, the, all no, the no, no. Elements i got you it. so i it's what's old is new but not wait what's the saying what's old is new
1: i don't know yeah, what saying was, you're going ignore, for ignore that. but i get your point in terms of big picture of people talking while doing some other activity but this is such a good format like i do think there's something to be said about gaming and live streaming combined together as a good yo i got a medium. great idea
0: why don't we change making it up to us playing fortnite and doing it and then nicole can get mad at me because i'm working
1: well maybe if we alternated fortnite and animal crossing then we'd be like on even playing ground and I would down. be more excited about it. Because I have to learn Fortnite.
0: And I don't have to learn Animal Crossing.
1: Yes, but then that way we're both making a compromise here. Okay. Sounds good. I'm what? in. I mean, at like 146 episodes, we got to do something innovative, right? Yeah, I know. There, we got to switch things up. Yeah, I wrote down a little bit more about why I think live stream also makes sense beyond gaming because you can't get someone else to twitch live stream for you so even twitter like most politicians use twitter to like talk about their policies and react to things that are happening but there is still a sense like oh it's like an assistant tweeting for you like is it really
0: yeah actually that's a great point it's like you yourself cannot delegate to somebody else
1: yeah and i think there's i don't know if people think about it so consciously but for live stream you can more easily distinguish whether you trust someone whether they're genuine in their knowledge and what they care about yeah and somehow it just feels more authentic even like okay it's similar to tv right and i think a lot of young people treat live stream and twitch like tv Mm -hmm. nowadays like you just have it playing in the background you don't have to pay 100 percent attention all the time but it still feels different to have legislators on twitch versus like making an appearance on fallon or jimmy Kimmel. yeah
0: yeah, yeah. what role does the game play in how this whole thing is perceived because among us is not a very serious game it's a party no. game low barrier entry like what happens if they played a game that was far more complex and Mm. And you know, like settlers
1: for of Katan, for example.
0: I mean, call it a sports game, even like obviously, like FIFA. Yeah, or FIFA, NBA, two K, and like they just sucked.
1: I think it'd be hilarious.
0: I wonder how that would change the dynamic. Would it? Would it take away from the the actual act? Because Among Us is a game that my mom could pick up, right? Like she wouldn't be, she wouldn't necessarily know all the controls, but she could.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. She
0: could have a very clear definitive, yeah. like, can you, you know, I move
1: We this could play now. it at, like, Family Christmas yes. if we wanted to. I mean, I think the barrier to that is that the politicians actually have to learn the game to some degree. Yeah. Okay, like, they have to have a PlayStation and then, at the minimum, like, own the game and learn to play it. So there is that barrier, whereas Among Us is, like, really easy, like you said, for just anyone. To pick up, mm-hmm. regardless of age, but I actually think that would be super successful because the point is to be where people are, right? Like, yeah. so it could be Fortnite. So many people are in Fortnite. Why aren't politicians doing that?
0: Dude, it's just it's not fun to watch people that suck at something. To use a great example, like when you go to watch like celebrity like sports games, yeah, more often than not, it's not amazing.
1: It's true. Like
0: at, at some point, it's just like why why draw attention away because they're not good at it. Like that's the thing is, if, I mean, for example, I think it's also the potential for reputational damage, and I say that with like a, an asterisk because Justin Bieber is actually really good at basketball, for example, right? And I wait—is
1: that a factual statement? He's pretty good, yeah. Oh, okay.
0: But like, that's the thing is, like, imagine he wasn't good. Like, what the, what value would it be for him to participate in the NBA All Star Game? Celebrity sure, All-Star, if he was bad.
1: Sure. But then I feel like streaming. I mean, they're not like doing competitive Fortnite, yeah that's what i do take your point that it's not as fun to watch people be bad versus among us where there's no real like you know being good or bad necessarily i mean i almost want to say that it'd be worth it if you were and i think this is interesting as well there are a lot of younger people seeking office right like there's been sorry in north america there is an exponential rise in people under the age of like 35 Who are going up for office like whether or not they're winning right and those people i think would be so natural for them to just they won't even think of it as like a gimmick it is natural for them to live stream on twitch as a way to reach voters Mm -hmm. to reach their audience and i was gonna say i would even argue that if you were a young politician and you had like a passing interest in video games it would be worth it to get better at one just so you could stream yourself playing
0: Yeah. 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 No. But I mean, among us because it's so easy to play also just means that it's that much more attractive to people of all walks of life.
1: Yeah. And I think that it
0: it would there'd be comparatively very little advantage to pick a more complex game.
1: I don't know. I kind of disagree. I feel like like for example, AOC one of the reasons it also works well for her is that she does play games as yeah. a regular person who has a hobby. And she plays League of Legends. And she does? I, yeah, she plays League okay. of Legends. And I think it's working for her yeah. as an aspect of who she is. Yeah. And also reaching like her Actually, voter base.
0: Your point you just made was something I was gonna ask you in terms of what does it mean when you have a a non-traditional, like I think that how to put this? AOC or someone like AOC probably has a general now, well, I mean, now a lot of people know she games, right? Yeah. But what would it have meant if she did her live stream playing Call of Duty and she was like really good at it? How would that influence this a particular user base? Especially because I'm we're talking about politics, right?
1: Yeah. I think it would just really enhance accessibility, and I think in again in North America, well, I don't know, this might be global, and there's. A feeling that politicians are detached, you know, and what people want is to see that individuals are human in the same way that they are and care about the same things. And so even if it's like a very specific game like League of Legends or FIFA and NBA 2K or whatever, while not everyone might be interested in watching that game, I think it would still be positive reputation points. Mm-hmm across the board. Got it. At least for young voters. Got it. Probably not for older voters. Um, there is a quote I read this other article in the MIT Technology Review about AOC and streaming in general and politics streaming and there is a quote from Brianna McGee, the Deputy National Press Secretary for Next Gen, which is a progressive group focusing on youth outreach in general, like not a specific party. And they asked her about, you know, why gaming and live streaming is successful. McGee said, there's a recognition that these platforms are successful because they're not built for traditional voter outreach. Mm. We can't give a headcount, so we can't say, yes, this worked or no, it didn't work. We can certainly say, however, that to, we reach new people in new ways, and that moves the needle when it comes to persuading young people to get out of the vote. And I like this because of McGee calling out the fact that it's successful because of it not being where people expect voter outreach to be. So obviously that means maybe there's like an expiration date on how effective this is, right? So like as more politicians and legislators go on Twitch, eventually it becomes expected and therefore less effective. Yeah. But at this moment in time.
0: Basically going through his honeymoon phase is like still exciting.
1: I have actually considered Twitch streaming myself as a fun activity I might enjoy.
0: What's stopping you?
1: Actually, what's stopping me is a technological obstacle that I haven't bothered to overcome because the game that I would most naturally stream is Animal Crossing New Horizons, which is on the Switch, and it takes a little bit of effort. And that's literally the only thing stopping me from doing it.
0: It really takes effort. It's super straightforward.
1: To hook up it? the switch to streaming?
0: Isn't it? Just no. get a webcam?
1: No, no, no. It's not the webcam part. It's the, the switch screen. Oh. Because you have to stream your actual game, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not as straightforward as if you were playing on your PC. Got it. That's it for me.
0: Uh, the last question I want to ask you is, I think what we're experiencing right now is a bit of a shift in terms of how we position gaming so traditionally in the past it had a connotation i think that connotation of 10 or 15 years ago is slowly being eroded some of it exists yeah so right now when you think of gaming you think of the youth but what will gaming look like in subsequent generations like it won't be really a youthful thing anymore will it because that's kind of goes back to your thing that you said you were saying that Gaming has no expectations around voter outreach, right? Mm. But then, what's going to happen down the line when it's like gaming is sort of an everyday part of life, mm-hmm. just like going to a what was I think in some ways you, what was a sporting event of the past mm-hmm. is now you know the equivalent today is probably a streaming event.
1: Yeah, that is really interesting. I mean, I think we're already definitely heading in that direction because. Like, I think about my partner who grew up gaming from the time he was, like, under the age of 10, you know, with Game Boys.
0: Yeah, I grew up gaming, too. Yeah. And
1: so. It was something
0: you grew out of, essentially.
1: What do you mean grew out of? Like,
0: there was at some point in time, like, oh, once you you reach a certain age, you like, you, you just never, you didn't really continue onwards with it.
1: That's actually not true for my partner. Exactly.
0: But he's also younger than me.
1: Okay, a little bit, yeah. So maybe, the, okay, maybe that's a good example. So we're slightly on the other but, end of our generation. But
0: what I'm saying is like, I think subsequent generations will not lose touch of this.
1: Yeah, I think even yeah. more so, right? Like, w- m- I guess my age group already is like the beginning phase of that, right? When, when we're the same age range as AOC. So it yeah. makes sense, right? Yeah. So it's starting to be natural. And then, yeah, I think in 10, 15 years, it'll be so much a part of the fabric of our life. Mm-hmm. Which is exciting to me. Yeah. I I think it's great that gaming has lost that connotation of, or I don't know if it's 100% lost, but mostly lost the connotation of being the thing that leads to violence and the degradation of your brain. That was the old connotation.
0: Yeah. Should we move on? Let's do it. All right. My topic this week is can a startup mentality save small businesses, small business owners are having to learn approaches like fail fast course correcting and going virtual and some are succeeding. This story comes courtesy of the New York Times and was penned by Eileen Zimmerman. And the story begins with a highlight of practice San Francisco, a center that offers individual psychotherapy and classes for children and adults that promote physical and mental well-being. For This company started by founder Nina Kaiser. It was going really well up until COVID hit. And she had to move her business into the video call realm. But like a lot of people have experienced, like Zoom fatigue sets in, right? And you just like kind of you're over it. And then she found other ways of marketing, such as partnering with a local yoga studio. Um, I assume the yoga studio is probably doing things virtually as well. Uh, And it worked out temporarily, but in the end, it actually became more of a burden than uh, an asset. And I think it's basically came down to each group having different values they were seeking. Like you going to yoga versus you going to this psychotherapy class might be overlapping, but not enough. And then what she ended up doing, she just changed the whole setup. So instead of having people just drop in as they felt like, she ended up running it like a course or a class. And despite everything that's happened, she's on pace to increase her revenue by 50 percent that's wild yeah so before that's a big success story in the story they also talk about how she had i think moved into a bigger space a new space which maybe now is not necessary over the course of this whole article what it does is it breaks down various success stories with small businesses and i'll actually run through them because i think they're they're really interesting to frame the the mindset right
1: yeah and it's a good variety
0: yeah Uh, continue onwards there's the story of a bagel company that partnered with a fulfillment company this opportunity of working with this fulfillment company they were able to increase their web sales by 250 percent as of september and they also decided to optimize the current process such as vacuum sealing their bagels and investing in better equipment versus like moving to a bigger space so they actually looked at how they operate and elected to make it better and then finally the last story which i think was the most interesting was the story of snap bar who in non-COVID times, their business basically revolves around setting up selfie stations and photo booths for events. So obviously no events, no opportunity for people to really congregate and take photos. One of the things they tried out was a product line, Well, will call it a product line, call it like just an, a sub-business called Keep Your City Smiling.
1: It's like a completely different business.
0: The only thing that keeps it unified is like the idea of, I don't even know. Yeah, it's like it's pretty far. Yeah. Anyways, I'm trying to think what the what the what the thread is. But basically, they started this thing called Keep Your City Smiling, which allowed them to sell city focused gift boxes from local businesses in a particular city. So, for example, let's say that I wanted to grab a gift box from San Francisco. That gift box would be filled with a bunch of small independent businesses. And I would both be able to gift that box, but also support people in the city. So they actually ended up generating about five hundred thousand dollars in sales with fifty to sixty percent going back to local businesses but in the end it didn't it didn't end up being a long term solution like they ran into issues where I think I think the people that are interested in this probably will will buy it, but will they buy it again? Probably not I don't think you'll have a lot of repeat customers,
1: yeah, and they yeah. said it wasn't enough revenue to keep them going,
0: yeah, so where are they now? they ended up pivoting into virtual photo booths which is actually really interesting because i would never think about this and i'd probably never use it either which is why it's not something i think about basically with all these digital events and conferences going online they basically created a virtual photo booth so that you could take a photo and share it so on social media
1: i mean it makes sense for them since they were doing
0: physical photo booths i mean what i love about that is that it's really just an extension of something that was their bread and butter in a physical context and sometimes you don't need to rewrite you sometimes you don't need to reinvent the wheel right you just go about adapting something for the new medium i mean actually this goes back to what i said before like golfing as the activity of choice for politicians just changed now mm. it's kind of the same thing but i think the reason why we wanted to discuss this was actually how do you build or understand resilient businesses. And I think that it's in some ways, these people all showed a sense of resiliency, but also the mindset to understand how to pivot into new opportunities and try and test them. And sure. I don't think there's like a I'm not gonna be able to summarize everything in like this, you know, the next few minutes here, but it's I what I I think is really important is identifying several things that serve as the foundation behind a successful startup mentality and i i've I've never worked in a tech startup but i have worked in i mean perpetually almost all the businesses and our companies i've worked with have been startups in the last i mean hype is technically startup
1: that is true when you were at hype it was a media startup
0: yeah so it's like i think the things that i i wrote and it's by no means the most comprehensive guide but I think identifying problems, being very good and honest at identifying problems is one of the most critical parts of like running a good business because ultimately you're in the business of solving someone's problem, mm. right? That's how you exist and that's how you generate revenue through sales, et cetera. People come to you to help solve their problem, right? So, you know, Sharice is a graphic designer slash strategist. Like, I'm coming to Sharice because she can understand my problem in terms of communicating my product, and she can also design it, which actually leads to my next thing. One thing that has really come to light in recent times is that if you're a singular creative, and I mean, you only really provide services in one aspect of the creative process, it can be challenging because you don't have the ability to offer strategy as well as execution. And sometimes if you have the ability to offer the whole chain and understand that process You actually provide immense value.
1: I think also you don't even have to offer as a service the whole chain. But if you can communicate that you understand everything from start to finish, it makes you more valuable than the person who doesn't.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like once you have that, I think it's actually so critical because you build in this. It's almost as though you can create a dependency with other people because they're like, oh, man, you're like a one stop shop. You don't even have to be the best. You're just the ability for you to kind of streamline that process. Like there's there's both expertise and convenience that sometimes you you get from someone that offers the, the the a package deal.
1: Okay. I mean, I think it's great that people are able to do a very wide range of capacities, of they have many different abilities, but I still don't think that the real value is being able to offer those services like one by one one, it's that you understand how to talk to people who do anything yeah in the process yeah and you have this even if it's not what you offer you have insight that you can talk about correct fluently
0: i mean yeah if you want to break it down, like let's say there's five steps to getting something done and you, you can offer two of them, yeah, you're already...
1: If you can offer two and you know how the other three work, then yeah. that's yeah. huge.
0: So that's one thing I often tell a lot of people that are trying to like, whether it's start an agency or they want to be a professional insert, like title, like photographer, or whatever. I think really understanding the process is one of the most important parts of of being successful because you have the ability to understand both how it works, but also how to vet talent, right? Like if you're going to work with other people too and build a team, you also need to know what to expect from that person you're hiring. And then one thing that is often like talked about a lot is, is like strategy versus execution. Versus? It's like kind of, there's people that kind of do one or the other. It's like you have the, the person, maybe it's not versus, but it's like there are people that think of the, the grand ideas But they're not the ones that necessarily are the ones that can go into the trenches and execute them. So having a very clear understanding of those two. And I I really think that it's it's important to have a little bit of each. Like you cannot just be too much on one side if you want to build something that's resilient. Because otherwise it's like it becomes far more complex and challenging. And I, I was thinking about this when in times of uncertainty, what's that push pull between focus and pivoting or does pivoting into a new focus become your goal because and you might have to think about it but i think the reason why i want to bring that up is that when it comes to that that sort of focus like sometimes working on the non-scalable things just to stay afloat might actually be the best thing for your business yeah that's kind of what i'm getting i mean i
1: don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer here Mm -hmm. so i'm not gonna say across the board you should just focus on this non-scalable aspect or you should pivot and try a diverse range of things like because i don't believe that i could say one is inherently better than the other and i also think that in a trying time the (sighs) i think in difficult times this is something i feel like i can say across the board the goal isn't to think about scale In terms of how can I go from a thousand consumers, audience people to a million? Okay, I'm just exaggerating for the point of this illustration. But it can be scale in terms of how do we reach a different 1,000 people than our current 1,000 people. Mm -hmm. So it could be we're going to invest in our current 1,000 people and they are going to spread the word. And bring in each another person yeah. and then we get 2000 or it could be like the bagel company they're doing they the founder said she's going to do a different line of like gluten-free products so that's like oh, i'm going to try something else that's going to capture a completely yeah. different 1000 people yeah. right so i think it's still growth but it's not scale right now like this yeah exponential the- scale does thing, that make sense? Yeah. That's what I think of when I hear scale. Like that's my immediate immediate concern yeah. when I hear scale.
0: Yeah, yeah. The one thing that I do think about is that by virtue of them having limited uh, revenue through their traditional means, the thing that forced them into the startup mentality was really focusing. Right? It's more like I am at a point now where resources are limited, so I have to be very strategic and focused on on what bets I'm going to take. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying the bet I'm going to pursue next is the one that's going to pay off, but I know I have to build in a line of thinking and analysis to arrive at this is the right thing or not. So for example, yeah. I think the last example was Snapbar who ended up doing, well, they did two things. No, sorry, yes. one thing. Well, what they did
1: one, the, yeah. the very different thing, the Keep Your City yeah. Smiling gift box. And then while they were doing that, they developed their virtual photo booth.
0: Yeah. So I think that in itself is a good example when you are forced to test because you don't have a ton of resources. And yeah. Like, you know, realize, oh, and also you can't be precious to ideas. Yeah. Like, basically, the idea that's going to win out is not necessarily the idea that you might love, mm-hmm. which is also the, re- the reality. But, like, I mean, that goes above and beyond other challenges when you run a business because sometimes it's not even about you because you have to take care of and support other people right yeah so it's like whatever allows people to take a paycheck home yeah um but I, the one thing above all else and i'm sure we've harped on this a lot before is just that how do you build a super robust rom- remote working culture and how are you able to provide value so
1: do you and, think question yeah. about remote working culture We've been talking so far about small businesses, but do you think this point applies across the board yeah, to so. companies of any size?
0: I think any size. And I mean, and I think, also
1: if you're an individual creative?
0: I think so. Because as an individual creative, you're never going to be working in a vacuum by yourself. Mm. Well, you might be. Rarely. I mean, um, maybe you're creating like something for Etsy or something. You're, you know, like you're an individual one man band, one person band, right? Sure. Which exists. But I think in general, like, some of these economies that are developing are in fact like going to be distributed teams where you have to work with other people. But I, I mean, that's the thing that that in general is that if we all value communication as one of the the central pillars of a successful business, mm. it just becomes that much harder when you don't have access to face-to-face interactions,
1: right? Do you think though? I think Because so. I have been, okay, I have been reading a bunch of writing by Basecamp which is a software company similar to Asana. It's like a project managed. Actually, I don't even know if that's a good example. Uh, It's a
0: project management software. It's
1: a project management software. Okay. And they have been remote essentially since day one, like for a very long period of their history, they've been remote. And so they've written a lot about what that means. I actually have this tab open right now. Did not know you were going to be talking about this. It's called the Basecamp Guide to Internal Communication. Mm the how, where, why, and when we communicate. And essentially, they make a very big argument for writing as opposed to -to face-to-face synchronous conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the obstacles to establishing remote working culture that makes writing really crucial and emphasizes it is personality. Mm -hmm. And it's generally a lot easier for certain types of personalities to express themselves or feel like they are expressing themselves effectively in person.
0: Mm-hmm. But on that same note, I also think that it's it's not the only solution either to go straight into writing. I think the way that I actually like to work is to have calls and then encapsulate the recap in writing. So you're kind of getting a little bit of both. And the reason why I find that valuable is that there's so much room for misinterpretation. Especially when someone's, like, English is not their first language, right? Yeah. Whatever. There's a lot of, like, challenges. No catch-all. So what you're trying to do is to arrive at the closest thing to perfection, which doesn't exist.
1: Okay. Well, in Hong Kong, it makes sense to have calls because then you can communicate bilingually. Mm-hmm. Whereas you can't communicate bilingually in writing. Mm-hmm. So I do agree yeah. that in a Hong Kong and certain cultural-specific situations the verbal bilingual communication um goes a long way but i would not personally go for your style of calls and then recaps yeah i would prioritize writing first i get so excited when someone says this doesn't need to be a call i'll just write out what you need to know
0: yeah no that's fair i mean everyone's style is kind of different uh, the reason why i like calls i feel like I can have a two-minute call and I feel like I have far more clarity than an email. And I also have someone's undivided attention on the call for the most part. Like you have to – there's much more commitment versus like how easy or hard is it to like receive an email and like I'm in the middle of doing something. But I just later. don't
1: think that – okay, one, I don't think you actually get someone's undivided attention on calls. And whether it's voice or video, I think it's not – it, I don't think it is undivided attention because you don't know what people have in front of them. You're not in person with them.
0: Yeah, right. that's true. But so, I also think that it's just that like th- the fact that they're there. I mean, it's it's almost like it's on a range.
1: And I also don't put as much stock in people's immediate responses to questions or like the things that you say instantaneously which is funny because we're obviously recording a live podcast mm-hmm. where i'm saying things instantaneously but in working situations i think we don't allow people to sit with something long enough yeah and i would argue that work could be better if we let people answer a question in their own time rather immediately mm-hmm. on like a 30 minute call yeah that's what i think yeah that's my hypothesis of better yeah. communication. I mean,
0: I think I think for me to wrap this thing up. I think that the most important thing is how you find a framework to both understand and uncover problems and then find solutions to them. Cuz as a small business, especially in these in these times, it's like that's what it comes down to.
1: I actually had a more abstract question. Yeah. Related to your subject, but also kind of tangential. And it comes from a article I read a couple of weeks ago in the New York Times, published in August, and it is written by Jamie Attenberg, titled "Is Resilience Overrated?"
0: Yeah, I recall this. Oh, you read it? I don't. Think Did I you really share it in the briefing? It. I think I shared it in the briefing.
1: Okay, I neither know if yeah. I can neither confirm nor yeah. deny that. But this article was about. Yes, people should be proud of themselves for being resilient, and it is a characteristic worth nurturing. But at the same time, when we congratulate people on being resilient, does it actually foster this really bad culture of relying on individual resilience when actually larger systems should be taking care of you so that the resilience isn't necessary? So for example, what I learned while researching this but, but
0: I think contextually, this this needs to be defined, too, like
1: contextually in the pandemic, small businesses. This is a good example. Okay. So individuals in the United States got a one time financial stimulus check yep. of twelve hundred U.S. dollars. Right. Versus Canada, which I just learned while researching this Jagmeet saying my subject, different individuals who qualify have gotten two thousand Canadian dollars a month since the pandemic yep. started up till September. Okay, so they got significantly more money because the government decided that they needed it as support, right? And so, as a hypothesis, okay, maybe you look at Canadian small businesses, and not as many of them had to come up with creative pivots Mm -hmm. in the way that U.S. businesses had to. Yeah, but maybe that's also a good thing.
0: Yeah, I like that question. I think it. it, I think for me personally, it's like as, as someone like. When you start a business, there's both like that push pull and the balance between like how much am I going to grind it out versus when do I relinquish, right? And I do think there's something, there's a lot of validity in just like how the support system works, right? Whether it's healthcare, whether it's whatnot. But I do wonder, actually, this is, this is going to enter some very like murky, like philosophical waters too, because- there's confirmation bias in terms of the New York Times sharing three businesses that happen to be successful in a pivot. Yeah. There's probably countless other ones that aren't successful. But I am very curious to see, like, let's say in 10 years' time, what happens to these three businesses based off of their pivot? Yeah. Right? And will they be will they in, in actuality be the makings of a, a potentially bigger and more successful businesses? Because At the very core, it's not easy to do a business anyways. If anything, the pandemic essentially figured that out faster.
1: Yeah. I mean, yes, maybe. And I think it's exciting when creativity comes out of difficult times, which is what's happening, at least for these three small businesses, right? Like unexpectedly being required to focus, like you said, because of limited resources and therefore being really creative Mm -hmm. with solutions but i don't i don't think that should have been the expectation of everyone and that's not fair
0: yeah
1: and like you said like there must be so many people who who failed to make it so uh,
0: i guess it's like uh, this is a counterpoint maybe it's not it's not necessarily to to like provide a counterpoint so much as like a real like an alternate reality that might actually be a long-term thing Mm -hmm. so let's say hypothetically your restaurant and I give you 2,000 and it doesn't force you to rethink how you run your business. I'm still going to like, uh, I'm still going to do sit down like pizzas in the in the dining room, right? But what happens if they continue down that path and never really considered, oh, you know what, actually we're, we're potentially facing a permanently changing landscape in terms of more and more people will just like order delivery mm-hmm. and that will delay their ability to understand that. I don't know if that is a I understand. For
1: I understand. Yeah. But I also think that businesses should have had that choice to do that. As in, it would be yeah. better if there was enough of a safety net, mm-hmm. if there was security for small businesses to not be forced their hand. Yeah. And if they decide we're going to keep doing sit-down pizzas, then that's their choice and yeah i agree like that's not super creative eventually probably that's not going to work out for you yeah but they shouldn't have to either close their doors or you know come up with some gift box alternative
0: yeah it's just these topics i find very challenging because it's like on the one hand you want to be empathetic but then on the other hand you're trying to come to grips with the reality of like like the oxygen in the room is basically it right
1: But like, where do we focus our attention on recommendation? You know, like, it's interesting that you kind of took this subject into a mini guide for small businesses or independent creatives. Yeah. Right. And it's about, you know, how do you handle a bad situation that you find yourself in? But should we actually be focusing more attention on demanding that larger systems improve for us? Feel like I said this like two weeks ago, essentially.
0: like I don't know. I find that I find that really interesting and/or because it's it's not an easy, straightforward binary answer. It's like yes or no, right? Yeah. Obviously, the reason why is that I, I I think that the fact that there's like a the more it's like it's tough because I can see it from so many different vantage points, but like the fact there's a risk behind a business forces you to really come correct with your homework but this is more from starting something yeah i'm not saying if you're already in in the middle of it right yeah but then at the same time some people have tremendous privilege where they've negated that right they may have like deep pockets or whatnot but well what, i guess what i was thinking of, about in this guide was called a mini guide or not i was also thinking it from the perspective of from a long-term vantage point like does this still work beyond? moments of crisis. And I think in general yes like you're kind of like what are the rudimentary like foundations of how you how you create value for your consumer mm. for your customer.
1: I mean I see a lot of value in the points that you brought forward and I do think that they can be personally beneficial like on an individual level but I also see how by talking about this and putting forward these points you put not I don't mean you, Eugene, but we are applying pressure on individual people mm-hmm. to be better at what they do in specific ways that could encourage growth, but could also be extremely mentally, emotionally discouraging. Yeah. And I I don't know, I think like I've noticed a trend in the briefing intros I write where I'm writing a lot about. Taking care of yourself and taking rest. And that's just always a concern of mine when talking to people and they feel like they're not doing well enough in terms of work or their business Mm -hmm. or being a founder. I just feel there has to be a balance between like encouraging creativity and growth and then also getting people to be more content
0: yeah yeah of course i've read a really short but sweet quote and i thought was really good i'm trying to remember it so the quote is comparison is the thief of joy it might be a bible thing because i think it's no it's not.
1: well okay the internet says it's Theodore roosevelt yeah but who knows
0: anyways yeah comparison is the thief of joy which makes a lot of sense right and it's funny because you wrote that Or he he said that pre-social media. Way earlier. So obviously this is something.
1: Human. Yeah. It's just human. Yeah.
0: But anyways, I think on that note, if anyone has any questions on stuff we talked about today, we're more than happy to try and answer them. At least provide a point of view (laughs) and a framework on how to tackle them.
1: I was going to say, we're more than happy to say to you, that is a really interesting question. I don't know the answer. That's a good place to wrap things up for the day. If you are interested in hearing more about Macon, reading and listening to some of our stories, focus on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at macon.com, M-A-E-K-A-N.com.
0: You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by sharing this podcast with a friend or supporting us via patreon.com slash Macon.
1: Also, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email myself at sharice at Macon.com, C-H-A-R-I-S, or Eugene at Eugene at Macon.com, E-U-G-E-N-E. We love hearing from you.
0: I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is making it up.